Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Part of these Indians is they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Welcome, boys and girls, to another episode of Masala PTI. Here's your host, Arvind Srinivasan and Ravi Krishnan. Ravi, uh, did you catch the Arizona Cardinals disaster last weekend? Yes, I did. And uh, Arvind, it's been a disaster from day one of the season. I know they won against Tampa, uh, but that was, I feel, as much to do with uh, Tampa Bay's inadequacies Otherwise, I've not been happy with even a single of the three games that the Cardinals have played thus far. Honestly, their best might have been the loss against the Patriots. They're one and two now. Yeah. And something that uh, you and I, I believe, discussed a couple of uh, pods ago was uh, how there seems to be some divine uh talent Carson Palmer has in having interceptions go through the hands of his opponents. And I don't know yes. if you caught, caught the game against the Bills. He had four INTs, but he had at least two more that basically went through the hands of uh, uh, the uh, the defensive backs for the Bills. Yeah, that was not a good showing. Um, I, I, you know, those, that's the worst fear when it comes to Palmer, right? He can really go south uh, at any given point. Usually it's the playoffs. And this one is in uh, you know game three of the regular season. What what do you what do you think they could be doing better other than him playing better? Uh, I don't see their defense being extremely dominant either. At least maybe I was having too high expectation. Yeah, and one uh, example that I think validates your assumption there is the fact that last year. It was a given that their defense was going to stuff the run. Uh, They didn't have pass rushing uh, assets on the defensive side, but as far as run blocking, or sorry, as far as stopping the run was concerned, the cards were among the top teams in the league. This year, it appears that they don't seem, seem to be as good even in that. I mean, McCoy ran really well, having, you know, again, Seeing that game, it was obvious that, number one, McCoy had huge gaping holes. And uh, compared to his first couple of showings this year, Mm -hmm. it almost seemed like we were looking at the McCoy of old, uh, wherein I, while that might be true to some extent, I think the Arizona defense had a fair bit to allow him to do what he could. Yeah. It is a little concerning. Let's see what they do uh, in division the uh, rest of the way. The division is yeah. kind of messed up too. I think the Rams are looking better than they originally did. And the Seahawks are looking bad, but then they're still good. Um, and the Niners are the Niners. They're slightly improved, I think, but hopefully we don't have to worry about them. Uh, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough uh, division. I agree. And going back to another question you or the question you asked earlier, Arvind, as far as what uh, you know, what they should be doing, something that uh, you know, an Arizona beat writer Kent Summers recently wrote on Twitter caught my eye, and I kind of completely agree with that. And he mentioned that it is about time to bench Michael Floyd 
and get Jaron Brown more snaps. And mm-hmm. I know it's a very small, it's a bit nuance in regards to what can be done. But Floyd has been beyond aggravating. He's had quite a number of drops. And while Palmer has had a pretty shitty start as well, I think uh, some of the interceptions uh, have purely been due to either miscommunication or wrong running of routes by Floyd. So he's an issue. Yeah, they. I mean, and they were committed to involving him more, right? That was the whole off-season hype. And and a lot of the even fantasy rankings had him higher than every other Arizona receiver and so on and so forth. Maybe it's time to you know, go back to uh, Fitz and um, involve the other Brown like you were talking about. That's probably... Yeah, yeah. And not to mention that I think John Brown looked good uh, this yeah. past week. So, you yeah. know, I think that their, receive, their offensive talent still is uh, quite powerful. Uh, it's just that they seem to be making too many mental errors. Right, right. Anyway, so I think we directly jumped into our primary concern, the Cardinals. We should probably apologize to our listeners that uh, we missed last week, mostly due to technical difficulties, such as the life of a fledgling podcast, I guess. Uh, We are still trying to figure this out. Um, But, you know, as you know, this show, we talk a lot of NFL and fantasy. This week, we, we thought we'd start talking some real football before we jump into fantasy concerns and I, I thought the whole week of football was great but it really started off great for uh, Hoodie. I, I thought really the Thursday night performance by New England and Hoodie was just sensational. It, may, it might have established him at an entirely different level even by his Hall of Fame standards that you could do that with a third string quarterback on a Thursday night on a short week, uh, a rookie quarterback, nonetheless. Um, that was I thought that was just amazing. What 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 did you think of uh, Hoodie's latest uh, shenanigans? Absolutely agree with you, Arvind. I mean, it was amazing to see that a team which traditionally has played uh, the you know the quintessential NFL style of uh, game planning, you know, during the Brady Belichick era suddenly transformed to a gadget-wise college football style of play just because of the fact that they had a rookie third-string quarterback at the helm. And for the fact that Hoodie was able to scheme that or create that, Hoodie and Josh McDaniels were able to create that within, what, a four-day period between yeah. Sunday, Sunday and Thursday and run it masterfully. I mean, there was no point in that game where you felt that Brissett was being asked to do anything, uh, you know, more than bare minimum. Uh, And still, there seemed absolutely no concern in the New England think tank that they were at any point of time going to lose that game. So I know that the defense came to the fore. A couple of those fumbles that were caused on uh, uh, kickoff returns uh, were huge. But beyond that, just the fact that they played fundamentally sound basketball or football sorry while reverting to a very college style of play given who they had at qb uh, pure testament to what hoodie is which is a true genius yes and i know it's one of the few teams i think they almost come up with a different plan per week yeah and this week was obviously the most creative and the most uh, inventive he had to be given that he was working with a third stringer 
And, you know, he does pull off things like using Grant more as a blocker and things like that. It's just amazing. You just don't see it on a week-to-week basis from a lot of other teams. In fact, you look at you know a few of the Niner games, it sounds like they just keep running the same play again and again, even if uh, even if it's not working. Yeah, so, and that's, you know, and you bring up a really good uh, point of comparison because one of the other handful of coaches that's often, or that used to be often referred to as a potential genius was Chip Kelly, but there is no comparison here. I mean, in fact, even looking at this past weekend's games, on one hand, you had a completely undermined Patriots team just blowing away the Houston Texans, a favored Houston Texans team. A lot yeah. of it, again, uh, one would attribute to the coaching and the game planning. And on the other hand, it was distressing to see what the 49ers were doing against uh, the Seahawks, basically running the same two or three plays over and over and over again. <laughs> and it almost seemed like Chip Kelly was, you know, plays fantasy football and he had Carlos Hyde on his team because he couldn't care less about the actual game. It just seemed like he wanted to get Hyde his uh, touchdowns and his fantasy points. (laughs) Speaking of fantasy, maybe that's a good segue into uh, fantasy football. Um, Any thoughts on uh, ad drops besides the obvious? Looks like there's a lot of... uh, interest, uh, understandably, on uh, Jordan Howard, the Bears running back, and also Cameron uh, Brait, if he's still available, the Tampa Bay Titan. I I want to specifically ask you, what's going to happen with Terrell Pryor, given that he's doing all, he's basically playing all three positions, and uh, also add, add any other ad drop tips uh, that you want to. I'm really curious. I want to have Terrell Pryor, right? But I don't know if this software is going to let me start him in any of those positions. The chances are, uh, not that I would like to start him as a quarterback, but um, possibly running back down the road, right? Or maybe you're fine with just using him as a wide receiver or a flex. And any Thoughts on that, or I'm just being crazy? No, I mean, in fact, uh, I was. It's funny you mentioned that because I was checking the ESPN site, and that restricts Terrell Pryor to be used only as a wide receiver or as a flex, you know, depending on uh, what individual league rules are. Uh, and I believe the one that we are used to in the one league that we play together uh, that runs on my fantasy league, and again, there seems to be a positional restriction to what Terrell Pryor can be assigned as. But speaking more generically about what Terrell Pryor's value is going to be, I think a slight dip after Josh Gordon's return, but that guy brings, that guy as in Pryor brings so much more to the table that I think he's a useful stash for the rest of the season. Yeah, Uh, especially if the league like ours have a flex, right? Yeah. Then I think it's a good uh, stash for sure. And I'm just looking again at this point of the season where typically someone that wants to uh, pick up prior, the point of comparison of who else would be potential options for them would either be these uh, backup running backs who have come to the fore because of uh, the starters' injuries like Kenyon Drake or Mm -hmm. Kenneth Dixon 
uh, or even Jerick McKinnon, or they would be second-hand or sorry, second-rung wide receivers mm-hmm. uh, like like Philip Dorsett, etc. And to me, the 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 X factor, the intangible that Terrell Pryor brings, uh, over value. I mean, correct, justifiably overvalues him much more than any of those other guys. Yeah. I think speaking of Kenneth Dixon, I, I, it's probably time to pick him up, right? I'm, if he's available in your league, I would recommend picking him up because that uh, running back by committee has not been really, it's been like a usual congressional committee. They have not done much. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you on Kenneth Dixon. I think he's probably the one stash and this is notwithstanding uh, uh, in some injury-based opportunities that have come up for other guys. But I think even with the slate completely clean at the beginning of the year, uh, I was uh, definitely still very high on Kenneth Dixon as someone to be picked up. Right. Uh, That's why he may not be available. But if yeah. he is, he, he probably should be picked up now. And yeah. the other guy is your boy. Orleans Darkwa is getting a lot of love given that <laughs> Shane Vereen is gone and Rashad Jennings is, as always, hurt. Yeah, he is. He, he, you know, especially after the last year, couple of years experience, uh, you know, he's the exact kind of guy that I have promised myself never to look at again. You know, <laughs> uh, a backup that probably may have, a, that may have a role uh, if the starter is injured, but then uh, 9.58 a.m. Pacific time on game day, you find out that Paul Perkins is the one that's going to start. So, right. uh, I think Darkwa, someone that I wouldn't touch. In general, my running back game plan for this year and beyond is uh, if the backup or the incumbent is someone that is either a rookie or has been drafted by the current coaching GM regime, regime uh, then I'm going for him. Otherwise, uh, staying away. That's a good point. Yeah, sometimes you need to know with the rookies especially, which regime got him in. Even though I have, I have played that theory a couple of times and failed. Uh, but in general, that's a good uh, rule of thumb. Not tell all... me something. Like, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Darwin, but tell me something you know, from your perspective. Do you see any difference between Jay Ajayi and Kenyan Drake? And not that either of them, you know, frankly, I think both are trash. Yeah. But, but to me, that's the only thing that differentiates between the two of them. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, actually, you know, we all love our decisions and what we think is right. So obviously, if I'm the head coach and I drafted somebody this year and there's an equally talented guy drafted by the previous regime last year, what am I going to do, right? Obviously, I have a bias towards the guy I picked. And uh, yeah, that's a valid point. So I think we have covered some of these uh, interesting names in the waiver wire. Um, How about we go back to a fun game we played last week, a couple of weeks back, Ravi, the... Concern meter, um, high, low, or medium concern on some of the so-called top round guys struggling. Ready? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So, so one of the guy has been in the concern meter for three years, I think, not three weeks. <laughs> that is uh, Eddie Lacy. Now he did do slightly better uh, in week three. Actually, really good by his standards, but for a top but, you know, second round or first round pick, uh, he was okay. What's what's your latest on him? To me, is uh, 
I guess he's still a high. If I had him on my roster, I'd still be a little concerned. How about you? Yeah, same, same as you, Arvind. I would be a high because if he's on my roster, I probably drafted him to be my wide, uh, running back one yeah. or potentially as a running back two if I went running back, running back in my first two picks. Now, if that is the case, I am definitely not just disappointed with his uh, existing output, but also what the future entails. In general, Lacey uh, either provides very little on the passing uh, game front. Uh, and on top of it, the whole hype around how he has uh, reinvented himself from a fitness standpoint uh, seems a mirage. I see nothing in him that differentiates uh, him from how he was last year. The one thing that typically people do say about Lacey when they endorse him is that he's a, what do they call it, a, a cold weather player, that as yeah. the weather gets colder, he gets better. Now, what they typically have meant by he gets better is versus 16 carries for 53 yards, it will get to maybe 25 carries for 90 yards. <laughs> but the TDs with him is always a, a chancy thing, and especially with Rogers slinging it around. I mean, Lacey's the kind of running back that I least want to have as one of my two starting RBs. Yeah, uh, that's the, the you hit an interesting point there, which is my biggest concern. I don't see any difference from last year, even though we were promised so much. So yeah. that's the concerning part there. How about the Jamal? Other, sorry, one other thing, Arvind, and actually something that I wanted to run by you as well, which is in no way, especially given the last two years, in no way can I differentiate between, say, Eddie Lacy and Jeremy Hill. Uh, mm -hmm. it, even in regards to usage, because Green Bay seems to be very quick to go to James Starks anytime they are down by a bunch of points, which has been the you know the prototypical comparison between Hill and Lacey that Hill gets taken out in passing down situations. I don't see much of a difference in usage now anymore, and Hill is again very touchdown dependent. Will never get you the 150 yards. So to me, where he was drafted versus where Lacey is being drafted or was being drafted, uh, you know, makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the one difference is, Ravi, to be fair to Lacey, right? This is why he's frustrating and we are spending so much time talking about him, right? <laughs> to, to me, all of those problems we're talking about, he should not have. Except I see why you want stocks in passing situations, right? But then again, how often is Green Bay trailing and how often are they chasing? So let's give that to Starks, okay? But for the most part, they are seem to be committed to Lacey as a RB1. Agreed? I mean, in that depth chart, right? Right, right. Now, also, he has all the tools to go in and score if they are uh, at the goal line, right? Yeah. But still, none of that happened. That's the frustrating part. Now, with Hill... To me, I see it slightly differently. You are right, performance-wise, they end up in the same bucket. Honestly, Hill may be better, actually. But the reason Hill is so much lower in expectation is because I think Gio Bernard is pretty talented. Right? Yeah, that is a yeah. true committee. In fact, you could argue, given Hill's uh, uh, fumbling problems, that Gio should actually win that job outright. Uh, because that guy is that talented and he's more secure with the ball. So to me, that's the difference. Lacey, really, I think the entire Green Bay 
infrastructure is set up for him to succeed and stocks is way behind in the depth chart except for those passing situations but still he doesn't um, but I agree with you in that at the end of the day when rubber meets the road he is uh, no different or maybe even worse than Hill who knows right he shouldn't be but he is that's my take on that I agree yeah yep. About Jamal Charles, um, he's taking his sweet time coming back. And my concern with him is, first of all, you know, it's not an easy injury to come from, and he's been injured multiple times. Plus, they again, going back to our Hill Bernard conversation, you know, it's the guys who are running right now are no chopped liver, right? They're pretty good. So, what's the guarantee Charles is going to come back and be good and even reclaim a spot at the top of the depth chart. I, I'm pretty high on my concern. Me too. Me too. I think, uh, you know, what's also slightly puzzling and concerning, if I was not just a Jamal Charles owner, but if I was Jamal Charles himself, is the fact that Spencer Ware seemed like a very close impression of Jamal Charles in that offense. So, yes. uh, you know, so it almost, uh, I know illogically, but it does send doubts on whether it is the player or the system uh, and if it is kind of some combination of both then maybe we will see a tag team of both Ware and Charles playing uh, together which just dilutes the effect that the Jamal Charles of old could have had on a fantasy team so my concern on him is even higher than that on Lacey yeah I agree let me throw two receivers in here uh, Golden Tate and Alshon Jeffries, uh, coincidentally from the same division. My concern on both of them, um, actually Jeffries, I'd say both of them is medium. I think for Tate, uh, obviously Marvin Jones is having a fantastic season, right? He was one of those high-risk, high-reward draft picks who was definitely creeping up the uh, draft board as we uh, got to the beginning of the season, right? He was way behind in like August and then, I mean, early August and then by late August he was getting drafted higher and higher. Uh, so at some point I think maybe um, more balls will start going towards state as their defenses start to adjust. Uh, but he's definitely underperforming. Um, same thing with Alshon Jeffries. But for some reason, I feel like both, I would keep it at medium. Uh, but there is enough justification to make it high on both. Um, what do you think? Great would be medium for me. Uh, I think Alshon Jeffrey would be low. Low, okay. Uh, low, yes. So I guess I'm agreeing with you on Tate and even less worried than you are on Alshon. Uh, the thing with Tate is, you are right. I mean, I think with the, with the kind of... Uh, game scripts that Detroit is likely to be in where they may have to sling a lot uh, of passes in order to stay in games and the fact that their running game is putrid, I see a fair balancing of targets and catches and yards for Marvin Jones versus Golden Tate. I think eventually it will balance out and Tate is a really, has got a really safe pair of hands so one doesn't need to worry about uh, him not being uh, efficient. Uh, it's just a question of time before he he's back to where he was drafted. Uh, Alshon, I think, uh, you know, I know that the production hasn't been there. His concern usually, in my case, has always been health versus uh, yeah. what's going on on the team. Also, and, the uh, quarterback's health, right? That's yes, another problem. Yeah. 
so on that in fact i was coming to that you know i draw a comparison between what say someone like deandre hopkins was able to do with hoyer as qb uh, and in some ways i don't think it all it matters that cutler sitting and hoyer's the qb for stud wide receivers like alshon at least that's my thinking i think he'll get his numbers uh, you know i i think the qb play will be crappy in chicago but i think Jeffrey will get his numbers. Cool. I think uh, those are some names. Uh, probably the owners are, uh, you know, worried about. So I'm glad we, we shared some of our thoughts on that. And now, um, I know there's another topic which you were always into, Ravi, which is uh, handcuffs, right? Especially now, some of these so-called handcuffs are getting to play um, because of injuries, mostly. But in general, I think there are a couple of philosophical approaches to handcuffs, especially RB handcuffs. Whether you spend a spot on them, whether you you know just wait for that injury, which may never happen, or do you just take the risk? And if somebody gets injured, chances are someone else is going to break out or get injured in another team. Maybe you are high up on the waiver wire. to pick him up so there are a couple of different ways to go on this and um, by the way did you did you eventually drop your CJ Anderson's handcuff or are you still keeping it oh i uh, did did you ask if i drafted him or did i drop him drop drop him yeah, no. so i did drop him and i picked up antonio gates and the very next day uh went back to dropping antonio gates and picking up devante booker again okay. so he he is back on my roster as we speak okay so what where are you with the whole handcuff situation i know it has been bothering you that especially you like to trade a lot right so that is one spot which is kind of uh, you know nobody is going to just trade you for the handcuff uh, plus if you trade cj anderson now you have to trade him as well and then you need to find two spots on the other side there's a lot of baggage that comes with a spot tied up right what what what's your take on the whole handcuff situation so i and you know it was interesting to also chat with you on this offline last week and that truly speaking gave me this uh, full and final realization on what my strategy will be which is that i will probably hold on to the handcuff of my star running back or hope many you know if i can even the handcuffs for my top two running backs until and unless the time where there is a potential trade that you know requires for me to drop the handcuff or include the handcuff in a potential trade that would be to me the inflection point where i would deal him deal the handcuff or drop him until then if it is status quo if it is basically uh, nothing has changed i i will not uh, drop my handcuff so cool yeah use, that's using a- this this particular case yeah i'm hanging on to booker until i make a trade or i end up in a trade where i need to drop a running back at which point i'll probably drop him great i think that's my philosophy right unless you have a if your team is in a bad spot and you have a desperate need to do something with that spot i think you sh- it's not a bad idea to hold on to them obviously there's no one answer to this right depends on your team depend on, depends on the depth chart of the handcuff you're talking about and productivity even when the main guy is playing there's so many factors but in general 
Ravi, since we have both desis, it kind of reminds me of real estate in India in some ways. <laughs> one, one of my friends always says, when you're selling a piece of property in India, which we you know, for people who don't know, real estate in India just keeps going up and up and up and up, right? There's no correction, no stabilization. There are some, but for the most part, it's going up, right? So he always asks me, why do you want to sell? Unless you have a need for the money, there is really no need to sell any property ever in India because it's it's only an appreciating asset. Now, the handcuffs are kind of like that. They're not necessarily an appreciating asset, but unless you are in a desperate need for that spot, I think you should hold on to it. That's the safer, smarter choice, right? Now, your team could be 0-3. You may be dealing with a bunch of injuries in other spots and you see a nice value in the waiver wire. Yeah, then you drop your handcuff, and if you want that spot, go pick him up. But if your team is doing decent, it's 3 and 0 or 2 and 1, you, are, you have a healthy roster, just don't go drop your handcuff to gamble on some long shot guy, right? You know, you know Orleans Darkwa, for instance. I, I think it may be tempting for people, but my philosophy is don't drop your handcuff for. Orleans Darkwall is basically another handcuff for a couple of other guys in another team. Uh, but if you're desperate and you're 0-3 and you're looking for some protection at the RB spot, then yeah, maybe go pick up Orleans Darkwall, right? Because yeah. that's your lottery ticket. So I think that is my philosophy. Um, hold on to it unless there is a desperate need. Does that make Agreed. sense? Yeah, agreed. In fact, the only caveat or exception to what you just laid out would be if the the the, the issue at hand was whether or not to drop the handcuff to pick up a wide receiver who might start for your team. Yeah. Uh, we discussed Terrell Pryor as an example earlier. So to me, if someone's like really uh, crying for a wide receiver and the only option is to drop the handcuff to your main running back, uh, by immediately plugging in a Terrell Pryor into your starting lineup, I think that makes us that makes logical sense. Other than that, I wouldn't drop yes. a Booker or sorry a handcuff to pick up a backup running back who will serve your needs for a week or two. Right, exactly. So even in your example, Ravi, it kind of fits my theory that you are in that case a desperate, right? Basically, you are saying you don't have a wide receiver you can start or you don't have reliable wide receivers. So you go get him and start him. That's valuable. Uh, more valuable, arguably, than having a handcuff. Now, if again, it may not be a great idea if you're picking up even a decent wide receiver or even Trevor Pryor, and if he's just going to sit on your bench behind, you know, Jarvis Landry and Mike Evans and uh you know uh antonio brown or something like that right you exactly. already are loaded you might as well keep the handcuff for a rainy day that's exactly exactly and that's that's the key there that if you're picking up say a wide receiver or a tight end or a qb who's going to start for you do it otherwise don't yeah cool hopefully uh that helps some of our listeners but here's here's a fun game Ravi. so i compiled a bunch of names um, I have not shared these with you, but I'm going to surprise you a little bit. But just quick hits. Let's stay on this handcuff uh, topic. And I want to slot these guys in like four four categories, right? Which is 
keep both, wherein both of them are valuable. The obvious example is uh, Tavon Coleman and uh, Devonta Freeman, right? They, they both have independent value. So obviously, even two different teams can have both of them, right? So keep both, um, drop both, where <laughs> both or all of the running backs are not doing nothing. Uh, good handcuff, bad handcuff. Okay. Did you get it? So good handcuff is somebody who is a clear handcuff, but kind of keep them because there's value. Uh, maybe the starter is injury prone, whatever reason you see. Yep. Or bad handcuff. He's a handcuff, but, uh, you know, I don't need him. I'm happy with the first guy. If he gets injured, we'll cross the bridge. All right? Okay. So keep both, drop both, good handcuff, bad handcuff. The first one is obvious. Coleman and Freeman keep both, right? Agreed? Absolutely. Okay. How about this old mess in Baltimore? Forsett, Terrence West. And you can, right now, there's no Kenneth Dixon, but maybe put him in as well. Today, I would say, at least for Forsett and Terrence West, almost drop both. What do you think? I would say yes. I mean, I would say drop both, and uh, if he's available, pick up Dixon. Yeah. Um, the, uh, these two are interesting. Well, Jonathan Stewart is hurt right now, right? How about uh, Fuzzy Whitaker and Cameron Artis Payne? So, and this is, so the options you laid out were keyboard, drop both, or basically don't even look at ones that are yes. available, right? Yes. So I would say that's what would qualify as far as I'm concerned for Cap and uh, Whitaker. Yeah, you know, it drop seems both, like, basically. Yeah. Stay away yeah, from both. Stay away, rather. stay away, exactly. How about the Langford and Howard situation in Chicago? There, I think... Uh, to me, it's a little bit of a drop both, but maybe we should be tending towards Howard at this point. Definitely. I mean, I think uh, just from the eye test, before uh, Langford got injured, it seemed general consensus moving along this cry for Howard to start anyways. Mm -hmm. And he was actually getting a more than a fair number of uh, uh, plays, uh, even while Langford was healthy in the last few weeks. So I think that's a situation uh, where production itself was a cause for Howard to see more of the action. Now that Langford is also injured, I don't see him getting his job back. So Howard is a very safe uh, pickup. Yeah. About your guys, C.J. Anderson, Booker, despite our detailed discussion on handcuff in the context of those two, to me, that's a, a bad handcuff in the sense that you can drop him, assuming you are uh, you you have a need, uh, because C.J. Anderson is just rolling right now. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. See, if they, and again, you know, some of this is also the attitude that we have towards our team or playing in the league itself. Like, if you have a really defensive mindset, wherein you are like, oh my God, what happens if C.J. Anderson gets injured? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I need to keep Booker for that eventuality. So. That to me, though, while it makes all the practical sense in the world, is like investing in a bank versus buying stock, right? I mean, you basically want the safe choice. Yeah. To, I don't see CJ Anderson losing his job. I don't see Denver moving away from the run anytime soon. Yeah. So, to me, Booker is a useless stash on the bench. Cool. About uh, I say, a Crowell and Duke Johnson in Cleveland. To me, despite 
all that's going on that is kind of uh, i feel like keep both uh yeah i agree i mean again it's a crappy situation i mean you know it so just as a point of comparison of what we are calling keep both i would say compare the whole cleveland backfield with say atlanta where you could very viably start Coleman and Freeman in the same week, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so that's a true ideal definition of keeping both. Whereas yes. Crowell and Hugh Johnson, I mean, to me, it sounds more like if I had both of them, that's like two roster spots which are being kind of, uh, you know, held to the ground with a bunch of stones versus uh, versus players that I feel very enthusiastic or optimistic about. So I'd rather not have to deal with that mess. But if I have to either keep them both or throw them both, I would keep them both. Okay. Um, about McKinnon and Asiata in uh, Minnesota, this is, I almost want to say stay away from both or drop both. But obviously, you know, we, running backs are hard to come by. So somebody is going to draft them both. But are they startable? I mean, I you I agree with you. It would be a very desperate owner who has to start uh, either of them. And but if let's say if I'm I'm a desperate on, owner, I still uh, go with McKinnon. So Asiata for sure is a stay away for me. I mean, you know, if our whole whole point of logic is he gets the goal line touches, you know, come on, that's like what five potential moments during the game, and who knows whether. Minnesota even gets there. So to me, I would rather uh, uh, toe the line of talent and McKinnon has a lot more of that that than Asiata. But again, a situation to just stay away from. Yeah. How about Matt Forte and Bilal Powell? At the beginning of the season, this was a huge, uh, good anchor for even, uh, you know, good anchor situation for me, right? Or even keep both. Uh, but now I'm thinking it's more like a baron cuff. What do you think? So I still like that that situation wherein you know if something were to happen to Forte, I think Powell is the guy up next. And again, I would like to mention this is not the defensive mindset I was talking about when we discussed CJ Anderson and Booker because in this case, Powell is someone who's already produced. He was uh, quite prominent last year in tandem with Chris Ivory. So. Yeah. That coupled with the fact that Forte has a lot of mileage, has never been known to be the most durable uh, player. So there is much more likelihood of a Forte getting injured and Powell getting the center stage uh, scenario versus what we discussed with Booker and CJ Anderson. So to me, a Forte owner might be well advised to hold on to Powell as well. Okay, so basically you're saying he's a good handcuff. I'm rolling the dice a little bit more when I say he's a bad anchor. But I do agree with you that another factor here is how entrenched are these handcuffs, right? So-called backups. In a lot of places, there is a dead depth chart. So there will be some RB2, 3, and so on and so forth. But then when the RB1 gets hurt, it's like a complete crapshoot, right? You can't assume the next guy is going to step in. So that is another factor you need to be aware of. And I totally agree with you that Bilal Powell is a solid handcuff, at least, right? Uh, the only thing you and me differ on is whether or not you need him or not. 
uh, that's the only thing that makes him good handcuff or bad handcuff. But he is a handcuff. That at least he got the job if something were to happen. Correct. Yeah. Here's the last one. This is interesting. Latavius Murray and the whole DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard. I guess you, even though he's spelled Richard, it's Richard. So that's interesting to me because Murray has been putting up points. I think he gets like one touchdown a game and then he disappears for a lot of the positions. It's it's kind of a messy area there, but I still can't. I, I don't know if I should, if I'm a Lat Murray owner, if I can own any of these other guys because they're, first of all, there are two of them. Second of all, they, you know, they both seem to be getting touches randomly. So to me, that's a bad handcuff situation, even though I'm a little concerned for Murray. What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's an ugly situation, I must admit. It's kind of sad to see uh, Latavius Murray being used the way he is because I feel he's still, you know, on a per-touch basis, he's still performing really well. Also, I think on a slightly different topic, I think Latavius Murray is a prime candidate for a sell high, if mm-hmm. I were a, if I was a Latavius Murray owner, I would sell high just on the basis of, uh, you know, the fact that he's gotten a TD in every game, so his fantasy points aggregate looks pretty good. But uh, he's literally, you know, splitting his job with two others in a situation which is not likely to change anytime soon. So I would stay away from all three and look to deal off Latavius if I could. Cool. That's a strong opinion on Lat Murray, who was some people's preseason fantasy MVP, by the way. So, so that goes to show how much we all know about fantasy, right? So, <laughs> it's still fun to talk about it, and hopefully our listeners enjoyed this as well. So that wraps up the main portion. Here's our Paka 5, uh, where we kind of hit some of the top items. Uh, on our mind, uh, not necessarily confined to any one topic or sport, it's just whatever we want to cover. Um, just quick hits. Do you want me to go first, Ravi? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so a few days back, I think Bob Myers, the GM of uh, Golden State Warriors, was promoted to president. Uh, congratulations to him. I think his era here uh, the bay area has been great for golden state and i think it's a well-deserved uh, uh, promotion if you will for him staying in the bay area my second uh, pucker five point is about the giants gm uh, bobby evans you know as baseball fans might know the giants have been struggling since the all-star break and they're having all kinds of problems with their bullpen and closer and I liked how he basically outed himself and said, you know, he thinks he's a knucklehead for not going and getting a closer at the trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, I think it was pretty obvious, though, even if he doesn't say that, that was a big mistake, uh, that he didn't get anybody. But for him to openly uh, talk about it and criticize himself, I thought was uh, refreshing. Uh, staying in baseball, my third item was... Uh, I'm traveling in New York and I got to go to the city field in uh, the Mets home field in Queens. Uh, wow. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It's a beautiful uh, ballpark and I think people who are in this area should go check it out. I've been to the Yankee Stadium a few years back. Uh, this one is equally impressive actually and I, I can see how 
you know, the giants with their AT&T uh, park in San Francisco are one of the top destinations, right? But uh, these guys have borrowed a lot of the same, like, architectural and design principles, and there are a lot of similarities that it's, uh, I thought it was a beautiful park. Uh, I had a good time. My fourth point is, uh, you know, the whole Kaepernick-inspired activism is still going strong. I don't have a problem with it at all. I, I like these activist athletes. Uh, as much as I don't like Seattle uh, Seahawks, uh, Sherman and Doug Baldwin have been pretty vocal on various things. Uh, Carmelo has been vocal uh, in the NBA. I think it's a good thing. I think uh, they should do what they they can and they should be free to do what they like to so i'm all for it and my last point ravi is as much as we spend all day and night and pretty much uh, six months from september to february watching and talking about football i am finding it increasingly hard to look at some of these hits on tv actually i, I am finding myself cringing more and more as all this awareness around concussion and injuries and player plight after retirement or even in their 40s, all of that is becoming more and more common knowledge. It, it's just jarring to me, some of these hits. These are the same hits 10 years back, you and I would be going, oh, and then high-fiving and things like that, right? It's yeah. just amazing how things have changed. And uh, I just can't even watch some of these hits uh, on replay anymore. On that somber note, Ravi, I will wrap up my uh, Paka 5 and it's your turn. Yeah, you know, a great last point, Arvind, in regards to concussions and hard hits. Some of it, I guess a lot of it has to do with uh, more heightened awareness on the medical front, on the ramifications of uh, these hits. But I agree with you. It is becoming harder to watch an actual game. It's a lot easier just to follow through on the box score later on. Uh, I guess now it's time for the Paka 5 today. Start with QB salaries in the NFL. And I have no grand dictum on this other than to point out that uh, last Thursday night's game featured uh, two relatively new QBs in their respective roles. And in this case, there was one guy... Uh, Jacoby Brissett, who was basically starting his first game uh, versus Brock Osweiler, who uh, did what he could in Denver last year, which for some reason enamored uh, him to Houston to the extent that they wrote a check for $72 million for him. And to see that he makes $18 million per year uh, against Brissett, who I believe is making 300000 for the year. Uh, and I... If if I, if I had a blind test on who should have made how much or which one of them was due to make more, I couldn't have uh, guessed right. Yeah. So to me, that you know that kind of that's just a semi-stupid example to point out what I feel in general, which is there are certain positions in football that seem to grossly be overvalued and nothing more than the QB position. To me, I mean you know it is probably one of the most transplantable positions that uh, is there in professional sport, uh, unless you're talking about, say, an Aaron Rodgers uh, uh, or, uh, you know, a John Elway or a Joe Montana, I think QBs can be had dime a dozen. So to me, it just feels nonsensical to pay uh, boatloads of money to untested, uh, raw, purely on potential quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, 
So that was my first thing. Second thing was actually moving to basketball. Uh, one of the uh, poignant news items that came up last week was uh, the retirement of Kevin Garnett, a player who I absolutely hated during his playing time purely due to, I mean, I think I shouldn't say hated. I, there's someone, I mean, I must say that he's been someone that's not, never been on my uh, most wanted list, so to speak. But I've never doubted his uh, sheer enthusiasm, grit and determination for the game in addition to his talent. And that his retirement basically set me to think of this one potential trade that was being discussed. And in fact, I believe it was in almost final stages, which would have sent uh, Stoudemire from Phoenix to Minnesota uh, and to get back Garnett. Yeah. And I was thinking that if that had worked out, we would have had a Marion Stoudemire Nash trio supported by Grant Hill and. Uh, I forget who else was there. And oh, you mean uh, Marion Garnett uh, Nash? Sorry, yeah, yeah. Garnett uh, KG Marion Nash trio. Yeah. And you know, something tells me that we would have been looking back at a much more glorious uh, uh, era of the Nash uh, sons if that had happened. So, another one of those uh, I wish yeah. it had happened uh, dreams. Uh, for us right the third paka five arvind is has been it has been i think a favorite topic of both you and i which is the value of kickers in fantasy football to me they're absolutely useless i mean in fact i frankly feel kickers are useless in football period but especially in fantasy i mean you know so much time and energy and mind share is spent on okay which running back do i draft and who should be my starting quarterback and this and that and eventually you find too many weeks and too many teams that get screwed by Adam Vinatieri, uh, you know, being fortunate enough that Andrew Luck cannot drive the length of the field, so he ends up getting these free three-pointers or three three three-point field goals to shoot. So to me, kicker should be completely eliminated from fantasy football. In fact, some of these DFS sites no longer have the option of picking a kicker, and I think that should be the way to go in future, even in standard leagues. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, my fourth Paka 5 point is around hard knocks. I mean, it is uh, uh, something that in general I think has diluted in its, in its interest level over the past few years. But especially this year, I binge-watched hard knocks this year, watched the entire five-episode series on the St. Louis, on the Los Angeles Rams, and <laughs> couldn't, couldn't have been more bored. It was really bad. I mean, there was no controversy. There was no exciting player tidbits of gossip that went around and on top of it in how about that guy uh, i heard there's one guy who believes in ghosts or some something like that i forget and, uh, it's fabulous Arvind, that you know what we are, you are right i mean i think i forget his name i think it is uh, oh goodness he's he's a defensive end for the rams and that it was pretty much the most uh, interesting part of the entire series, which was that the, there was this guy who believes in mermaids. Mermaids, uh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so think about it. I mean, you know, versus some previous seasons where I believe there was the Cincinnati Bengals uh, series uh, when uh, Adam Jones was going crazy. And then there was the Cowboys uh, season where obviously you could point out to a number of fun stuff coming from Des and from Jerry Jones, 
compared to all of that, this season was the most boring. And in general, I think it reflects on Hard Knocks as a as a program itself. Uh, uh, I think it's losing its sheen. Uh, so to me, I don't see much happening with it uh, in seasons forward. Cool. And my last Paka Five, which is candidly dated now, uh, hopefully not, is uh, my uh, rant uh, around the Green Bay offense, the Green Bay Packers offense. And I know that they ended up scoring 35 points this past weekend against Detroit. But I think my point still remains, which is that for a long time, Green Bay has been hyped for what uh, it is being called as the optimal West Coast offense, or at least it used to be uh, in the olden days. What I'm seeing in the past few seasons is basically backyard football, wherein Aaron Rodgers is having to run around, scramble around for about 10 seconds, uh, and then find whoever is open, and then leaving it up to his talent and the agility and athleticism of his wide receivers to make something happen. So it seems like a series of broken plays interspersed with some designed uh, plays in between, whereas it probably should be exactly the opposite. And a case in point as a comparison, and not that it is a very successful comparison, but a comparison is something that I've seen from the New York Giants early this season, wherein I love what they are doing with their three wide receivers. Uh, there is pinpoint passing schemes, uh, passing plays that are run in that scheme. And to me, that at least uh, resembles much more of the Mike Holmgren West Coast offense that uh, was tom-tommed around in the 90s and the early 2000s. Green Bay looks like uh, basically a circus in chaos as far as offense is concerned and is being purely salvaged by the genius of Aaron Rodgers at QB. That basically sums up my Paka 5 for the day. Yeah, I think what is happening there is probably bad offensive line play where he is running around and uh, to save his life and make something happen. And then when things do work out for them and have a good offensive, uh, you know, uh, footing, then he, the offense just explodes and it looks like the way you, you think it should look. But yeah, you're right though. He's the one who's carrying everything there. That's a good list. Uh, I guess that wraps up the show. And I uh, hope to talk to our listeners again soon, hopefully next week. Yeah. Sounds good, Arvind. Looking forward to connecting again next week. Yep, you bet. <laughs>